Um, yeah, so how about that Revelation 4? <laughs> a little wacky, huh? Yeah, that description of heaven. It's a little bit overwhelming. I think the creatures with the eyes, I think that was my hardest. Yeah, that was that the hardest thing. Um, they're a little wild, but the rest of it is so beautiful, right? And you think about, like, that's just what our finite mind can understand. Like, it'll be even more so um, when we get there. But it's, that's really what it's going to be like. That is God's glory revealed fully. Um, and just think, you're in that scene. You're there. Like, however you imagined it in your mind's eye this week, um, you're there, standing where John was standing, um, seeing all of that with God, with the elders, with those creatures, with the crystal, with the emerald rainbow, with the throne, with all of that. You're with God and with all of those who are praising him. That's just like mind-blowing. Um, and we've been talking a lot in our study, not maybe not a lot, I think eh, kind of a lot about um, God's glory and about the weight of glory and about um, God sharing his glory with us. So I want to make sure first that we all know what we're talking about. Um, so next slide, Marcia. So I looked it up in the regular dictionary. Someone, one of these wonderful other leaders taught me this. We're all good. You can just hit that little uh, arrow button. Yeah. Um, so one of these wonderful leaders taught me this, to look it up in like a regular Webster's dictionary and then look it up maybe in a, in a Bible dictionary. So first I looked up in Webster's, and here's kind of the full definition, which I think is great and so applicable. I love when the regular definition is so applicable to, the, to what's going on in the Bible. Um, but the part I really wanted to highlight that stood out to me is where it says, the praise, honor, or distinction extended by common consent. Um, and the common, because the common consent makes me think of those creatures, um, the four creatures that all together, all together, night and day, were praising God without ceasing, saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Did you guys talk about that holy, holy, holy in your small group at all? Yeah, it's, a, it's such a cool thing. It, that triple holy is only twice in the Bible, and this is one of the places. It's always about God in both instances. The other instance is in Isaiah 6, 1 through 3. Um, and maybe you discussed in your groups that the triple holy um, in Hebrew, um, that indicates completeness by saying it three times. And so what that means is that God is completely holy without sin or impurity and distinct from all creation. I think that's so cool and so true. Okay, next slide, Marcia. So then I looked at Vine's Dictionary of the Bible, um, and the part I wanted to highlight here, again, all great stuff, the part I wanted to highlight is that it says, the part that's kind of underlined is, it is used of the nature and acts of God in self-manifestation. So it's essentially his essence and what he does exhibited in whatever way he reveals himself in these respects. So basically it's who God is and what he does revealed to us by him. Okay, so that's glory. You can do the next slide. So um, people have seen God's glory throughout the Bible. Um, this, this is just, you know, some instances of this isn't exhaustive, but in Exodus uh, 16.10 and Exodus 13.20 to 22, um, God's glory is seen in the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire. That's called the Shekinah glory. Um, and I've got a little bit of a definition of, she of the Shekinah glory up there. In Exodus 25.22, um, God tells Moses that he will meet and speak with him from above the mercy seat over the Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle. 
So that's God's glory coming down to meet and speak with Moses. In Exodus 33, 12 to 23, <clears throat> Moses requests to see God's glory. So cool. He's just so bold. I love it. Um, and then God gives him the safety guidelines. Um, in verse 20, God says, you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live. And that's how we know we never have seen God's full glory yet. Um, then God explains how he'll make it safe for Moses um, to see him. And God says, when my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. And that's exactly what happens. So in Exodus 34, 1 through 10, up on Mount Sinai, uh, Moses sees what's called a theophany. So that's like a manifestation of God that's visible to humans. Um, so God sees, God, I mean, Moses sees God's back. And what I read, it's, it's not really that God has a back or a hand or a face, but you get the idea. Um, in Exodus 34, 29 to 30, right after this, right after Moses um, sees God's back or the theophany, um, you know, remembering Moses still didn't even see the full glory of God, but when he comes down off the mountain, his face is shining. Um, he didn't even realize it, but everyone around him was just almost in awe and fear um, because of the way that Moses looked, and he was reflecting God's glory after an encounter with him. And we can do the same thing, by the way. In Luke 2.9, the shepherds are being told about Jesus' birth, and it says, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. Remember that? Yep. Um, so the glory of the Lord was there with those shepherds on that night. Okay, next slide. So then Jesus is born, and we see God's glory in Jesus. So remember that our definition from Vines said that glory means the nature and acts of God in self-manifestation, or who God is and what he does. Um, so remember in our study in Hebrews from last year, I'm sure all just pulling this all out, right? Hebrews 1.3 tells us that Jesus is the exact representation of God's nature. So obviously, he manifests God's glory. And John 1.14 um, tells us that we saw his glory when the word became flesh. And then as Jesus began his earthly ministry, his glory was manifest in his first miracle when he turned water into wine at the wedding at Cana. And you read that in John 2.11. And likewise, when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, Jesus says his glory is revealed again. And this whole story is in John 11.4, 14 to 15, and in verse 40. So we know that Jesus is the exact representation of God's nature yet we know he still did not fully reveal his glory to us. During his time on earth, he appeared like a very normal man, humble, of humble status, with dirty feet and simple clothing, just like everyone had back then. So that clearly is not the picture of God in his full glory, right? Um, next slide, Marcia. In fact, we're told in Isaiah 53, 2, that Jesus had, or that he, meaning it'll be Jesus, prophesying about Jesus, had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. In fact, as he hung on the cross, he was like one from whom men hide their faces. So that's Isaiah 53, 3. His full glory was veiled while Jesus was on earth. Once during his early ministry, Jesus allowed three of his closest friends to get a taste of his glory. Still not his full glory. In Luke 9, 28 to 32, Jesus' face is altered and his clothes become dazzling white when he's transfigured on Mount Hermon. Can you do the next slide, Marcia? So when will we see Jesus' full glory? 
when he returns to get us, according to Jidus 2.13. And what will Jesus look like when he returns in his full glory? Get ready. Strap on your seatbelts. It's going to be cool. So Revelation chapter 1 and Matthew 24 give us some clear descriptions of Jesus in his full glory when he returns. And it's all up there, coming on the clouds, white hair, eyes like flames, feet like polished bronze, voice like thunder, two-edged sword from his mouth, face like the sun, lightning, angels, trumpet call. It's just like to even imagine it. And again, that's in our finite minds. It's going to be amazing. But Revelation 19, 11 to 16 gives us the most detailed description of what Jesus will look like in all his glory when he returns. And this says that he will be riding on a white horse, his eyes like flames, jeweled crowns on his head. He will be clothed in a robe dipped in blood. A sharp sword will be coming from his mouth. And on his robe and on his thigh will be written his name, King of King and Lord of Lords. This is the Lion of Judah in all his glory. And according to a lot of verses in Revelation, especially chapter 5, we see um, that we'll also see Jesus in heaven um, as the lamb who was slain, as that part of his true nature is revealed. And I know a lot of this has all sorts of deep meaning. We're not going to go into that. That's a Stuart Black thing. But just imagining even the picture of that and not even the full meaning of what that is, is, is almost too much to bear. It's just... Again, hard in our minds to imagine what that's going to be like. Next slide, Marcia. And we'll also see the full glory of God the Father as well in heaven. Scripture reveals what that will be like in these verses. Um, Isaiah 6, 1 through 6, Ezekiel 1, 26 to 28, Daniel 7, 9, and Revelation 21, 11 even talks about God's glory in the New Jerusalem. And obviously here in our passage from this week in Revelation 4, um, this, this is showing us what it's going to be like to see God's glory. We get to see his magnificent appearance, and we see him receiving the honor that he deserves for who he is and all that he's done. And the unimaginable gift that he gives us is that he chooses to share his glory with us. Talked about that a little bit already. So as you're imagining his full glory, imagine that he deserves it fully, completely. We don't, by any stretch of the imagination, but he chooses to share it with us. Yeah, incomparable gift. Okay, next slide, Marcia. Okay, but why is this description of God in all his glory from Revelation 4 associated with this week's lesson on keeping your eyes on the prize? Hmm. In Revelation 21 and 22, we're given beautiful, awe-inspiring descriptions of heaven. If you've ever read those, they're amazing. If you haven't, go read them. Um, we're told what will be there. Um, and it's not specifically listed here, but I think there may be pie for John Lynch. I don't know if we've ever heard him say that. <laughs> for his sake, it might be there. Um, but here's some of the things that we will see, okay, that will be there. And in Revelation 21, we're also told what will not be there, um, which to me, especially um, after a certain, you know, a certain kind of day on this earth, what's not going to be there almost sounds more beautiful to me. Um, no more tears, no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, nor pain, and evil will not be allowed to enter. It's just such a beautiful thought, isn't it? But think of all that means we could even expand that. Like, what else won't be there? Think of it. No more cancer. No more Alzheimer's. No more car accidents. No more destruction. No more school shootings. No more abuse. 
no more divisiveness, no more loneliness or isolation, and the list goes on and on and on. Think of it. Think of whatever has caused you and the ones you love pain in this world. It won't be there. It sounds so good, and it sounds like an amazing prize after all we've endured on this earth. But these wonderful things, as wonderful as they are, are not the prize. So what is the prize then? And I want you to, if you're falling asleep a little on me or anything like that, just perk up, because this is what God told me to tell you today. This is what God wants me to express to you as clearly as I can, is that our prize is God and God alone. God in all his magnificent glory for all eternity, literally dwelling with us, that is our prize, that is our treasure, and that is our reward. All of the other characteristics and descriptions of heaven are amazing, and we get to live there forever, enjoying all of that, what's there and what's not there. But they're merely the byproduct of the one who is our true prize. Heaven is filled with God's glory, and where that exists, so do exist the wonderful things that we read about in Revelation 21 and 22. But here's the really cool thing, as if that wasn't cool enough. Not only is God the prize in our future, but he's the prize right now. Give the next slide, Marcia. So unlike any race any of us have ever run or any contest we've ever entered, in this race we have access to the prize before we even finish, while we're still running it. Isn't that just like God to turn things on its ear? right, to do things completely differently than anything we've experienced here on earth and to be so generous with us. So what does that mean to us in our day-to-day -day life? That means as we run the race, as we live this life, anything that draws us closer to God is drawing us closer to the prize. In Psalm 73, 28, we see that the nearness of our God is our good. And this truth allows us to gain a new perspective and start to reframe our trials and tribulations. We really can see them as good if they draw us nearer to God. God's been revealing this to me very clearly in the last few years. And I know that the logical conclusion from this is that if I really want the prize, I should ask God with all my heart to bring whatever circumstances or person or situation into my life that will draw me nearer to him. But I'm not there yet. I'm going to be really honest with you guys. I sense God moving me in that direction, transforming me, but I'm not quite there. First, as he was teaching me this, I saw it in retrospect, right? Like looking at a rearview mirror. So after something had gone on, I could say, oh, wow, gosh, did that draw me nearer to God? That hard, hard situation, he was there with me, and I just feel closer to him, more intimate with him now. I could see it after the fact. And then... As he matured me and transformed me, um, I started to realize that I was being drawn towards him in the midst of the trial. I could realize it like, okay, I see what this is doing. I see you coming close. I see me getting closer to you, God. I see it. And now I'm at the point where I know in my head that anything, and moving into my heart, <laughs> that anything he is going to allow in my future will draw me nearer still to him. But I haven't taken that next step. I have not yet begun to ask him to bring anything no matter how hard or painful into my life, just so that I can be nearer to him. I want to hunger and thirst for him like that. I really do. Um, but again, I'll be honest, I'm not quite there yet. And why is that? It has to be unbelief. As far as I can figure, it has to be unbelief. I don't fully believe 
that experiencing more of God, being drawn nearer to him, will be worth the pain and suffering that the trials will bring. But when I think about it, he's going to do what's best for me anyway. So what if I cooperated with him? <laughs> what if I just cooperated with him? Um, what if I, what if we all trusted him that much? What if we trusted him enough to ask him to bring anything into our lives that would draw us closer to him, our great prize? Just think of the magnificence of his glory that could be revealed here on earth if we did that through our trust of him and our cooperation with his work in us. When I allow God to do that, to walk with me, carry through me through my hardships, he's glorified. His glory was revealed through me to you, and when you do it, it's revealed through you to me. And when we all do it, it's revealed through all of us to the world that so desperately needs him. We already reflect his glory. Did you know that? You already reflect God's glory. Although our faces don't shine like Moses's. <laughs> but imagine how much clearer that reflection could be the closer we draw near to God. Right? Just like a mirror. If you're 50 feet away, you're not going to see very clearly, but the closer you get to it, the clearer that reflection is, the crisper, the more accurate. Um, the world would get to see a glimpse of what we're reading about in Revelation 4. And each trial could become a time of anticipation of seeing God's glory revealed more and more. It no longer is a grin and bear it kind of situation when this is how we're living. This is the patience that is more than endurance that Oswald Chambers talked about, Oswald Chambers talked about in that quote in our homework. Because if God for eternity, starting now, is our prize and nothing can take that away from us, why do we concern ourselves with what happens with us on this earth? He is all we need, and we already have him living in us. This is how we endure the unendurable and have it spill over into joy, like we read in the Colossians passage in our homework. Next slide, Marcia. So as we run, ladies, let us fix our eyes on the prize in all his glory. Let's remember this passage and all of these passages. If you haven't read them before, go and read them and fix your eyes on our prize in all his glory. Let us also believe with all that is in us that he who can do more than all we ask or imagine has given us full access to his every attribute. Now, on this earth, that's true. Let us hunger and thirst for more of him, knowing that he is the only one who can and will satisfy and let us abandon ourselves fully to his will, knowing that it is for our good and for his glory.